Hello and welcome back to the Hopeful Activists podcast. I'm Abby Thomas and I'm wondering, do you ever worry that your action for justice isn't making a difference or have you ever got downhearted about the environment? Well, I've got an interview to encourage you massively today. I'm very excited to welcome Laura Young onto the podcast. If you're a social media user, you may know her as Less Waste Laura. And at the end of January, the campaign she started was successful when the UK government agreed to ban disposable vapes. The legislation is due to come into force later this year or early 2025 and I'm so pleased to be able to speak to Laura so soon after this amazing result. So Laura Young, welcome back to the Hopeful Activist podcast today. Thanks for having me. It's really, really good to see you. I can actually see you, which is nice. <laughs> A lovely sunny day where you are. It's absolutely tipping it down here. Which is not normal for being in Scotland, but we'll take it when we get it. So where are you in Scotland, Laura? Currently, I mean, I'm based in Dundee, that's where I live, but I'm actually phoning from Glasgow today. So, yeah, sunny Glasgow, which is not often the case. <laughs> so, huge congratulations this week on a massive campaign win. Thank Tell you. us what happened. I mean, yeah, it, it's fantastic. So, over the past 16 months, I have been kind of part of a campaign, sort of leading it um, from certainly the environmental side, but it's been across public health and environment, looking at the problems with disposable vapes. So there are, you know, loads of problems across health, environment, uh, young people. And we have had the news that the UK government is going to put in place legislation, amongst other things, but to see disposable vapes banned. And it's fantastic. It's fantastic because it's across the UK. It's not just in England or it's not just in Scotland. It's across the UK. Um, and it's a real win for campaigns that have been across that environment health spectrum because so many things cross that boundary. So it's fantastic. So we expect that it'll be in legislation by about this time next year. So early January, February next year, if not before, if, if we get it really quickly. So, you know, absolutely fantastic win for, even though the campaign's been going for about 16 months, that's actually quite a short amount of time when you think about the world of campaigning and, and the fact that some campaigns can take decades. Um, so really fantastic. So Laura, take us on the journey then. What was your part in this campaign? If I'm honest, I do think I can say that I started the campaign, which is quite exciting, but, you know, starting it is obviously not being the whole of it. You know, there's been so many people involved, but the reason I say that is because back in September 2022, I began finding disposable vapes as litter, you know, finding quite a number of them. And so I took to social media, to Twitter, now X, and started posting, you know, saying these things seem like a nightmare. They're a really big problem you know, we should look into these, yada, yada, yada. And I want to start a campaign, you know, who's who's with me kind of thing. And so it really started as, you know, finding these as litter and realising there was something different about them. It wasn't just a crisp packet. These were electrical devices that were being sold as single use with all these, you know, special materials and resources that are critical for, for many other industries. Yet we're selling them as single use and they're throwaway and, and that seems wrong. And 
ever since that tweet back in September 2022, I started to gather people around who were also interested. So there was lots of other environmental organisations who were seeing the impact on wildlife, the impact on the waste kind of infrastructure, you know, recycling, waste sites, um, and also health bodies, you know, people who were experts in public health or experts in tobacco and nicotine who have really been seeing the rise in, you know, non-smokers and young people picking up disposable vapes as a habit because they are so widely accessible, so cheap and the marketing is just so appealing to young people. And so, you know, there sort of was a snowball of people, you know, gathered and we started at the very beginning just with meetings, you know, online saying, what's everyone finding, you know, trying to work out the lay of the land and trying to work out what some of the solutions could be. So this did not start as, you know, I'm picking these up as litter, they should be banned. Actually, it started as who is seeing these as a problem in their sector and what could we do about it? And there was some great research, there was some great citizen science, there was loads of kind of anecdotal evidence. And of course, we we built what what then turned into a campaign around really seeing the need to ban these, banning them for all the health reasons, particularly with young people, and then of course banning them because there should just be no single-use electronics, no electronics that are disposable and get thrown away. You know, over the last 16 months, it's gone from just a rant on Twitter to you know events and parliamentary things, both up here in Scotland in Holyrood and down in Westminster. We've had, you know, politicians of all persuasions putting this forward, whether that's in council meetings or, you know, hosting events, doing debates, putting questions forward. And now we, of course, have this legislative change, which is fantastic. And, you know, along the way, we've picked up some really small, great grassroots organisations and some huge organisations. And it's been kind of fantastic to see this as a real collaborative effort. Uh, there's some staggering statistics. I think you could cover 22 football pitches with disposable vapes thrown away in one year in the UK. Yeah, so we throw away 5 million a week. 5 million a week. And, you know, inside each one of those, you've got a lithium-ion battery that could be recharged. It's just not designed that way. You know, copper wiring, cobalt, material, all these materials that we need for other things. And they are just being thrown away. And that is alongside the plastic and all the other single-use stuff that's in there that's just so nasty. And, you know, it's not, it's also not a UK problem. You know, the the US throws away five a second. Mm. So, you know, really this is a staggering problem. Um, and when we think about finite resources and, and what we need those for, it's just shocking that we've created these products. Do you worry, though, that people will now switch back to smoking, which is obviously, you know, has its health risks as well? Of course. And I mean, one thing to say is a lot of people who took up vaping were never smoking. So hopefully they wouldn't fall back on that because they never did that before. And then the also the other thing to say is that it's not a ban on vaping. So vaping is still available for people, adults who want to use that as a smoking cessation device. They just need to do it in a way that doesn't have all of these unintended consequences. And I think also there's something to say about people taking responsibility for their health and recognising that there's also lots of other ways to get support to quit smoking. And that's why it's been great to have these public health organisations, particularly the ones that specialise in tobacco and nicotine on board, because they are the ones who say, you know, here are all the other ways that you can continue on your journey away from smoking. But I think it's about seeing the bigger picture and recognising that these disposable vapes have seen, you know, a tripling of young people taking up vaping. Um, 
And when you look at the amount that have even just tried it or do it regularly, you know, it really is quite frightening. And it's about seeing the bigger picture and recognising that it's the disposable vapes that have been doing this and that when we remove those from the equation, we can then look at what's left as a problem and be tackling that with our resources. Um, So it's absolutely something to consider, but it's absolutely not the reason to just let these things continue to exist. And as you went with this campaign, how much did you plan and how much did you roll with what was happening? To be honest, roll roll with it. Um, (laughs) You know, I'm doing a PhD now, but before this, you know, I worked for Tier Fund and was in the campaigns team. And it's interesting to see how, you know, a campaign from an organization like that, you know, it's months of planning and preparation and you've got all these different teams and, you know, it's like all this work and then it launches and it's, and it goes. Whereas this was like, okay, what's next? What can we do? But I think actually it was really great to work in that agile way and just say, let's move where the campaign takes us. It was also great to kind of test the water. So, you know, one of the things that I thought was essential to a campaign was a petition because every single campaign I've ever been involved with before has had some form of petition. This didn't have one. It just never kind of came up as something that we wanted to do. But what we did do was I sat one Thursday evening when I had nothing else to do and emailed every single councillor in Scotland and personalised the email in the groups where the local authorities were saying, here's this issue, here's even locally, you know, some people that are doing stuff about it. I'd love for you to discuss this at a meeting. And out of the 32 councils, 29 of them took a motion to their meetings supported a ban and wrote to the Scottish government so sometimes there was things that I thought oh I thought that would be something we would do and we just never did because it never came up and then other times I thought wow I never thought I would be sitting doing this but that's been a really crucial thing as part of the campaign and so you know I think it's been a bit of moving you know where where we see the need in terms of what we did but absolutely you know there was no planning there was no strategy but I think often that's why it was so successful because we weren't we by I mean everyone involved weren't stuck to some strategy document that we had to keep to and you know we moved with the times and I think that was something that was the most important Mm. um so it's given me a lot to think about when it comes to campaigns and and one of the activities I've given myself as a to-do list is I'm actually going to go and create a big timeline document and I'm going to actually put down every single thing that happened over the course of the 16 months between the tweet and the UK announcing it was going to be legislation. And I'm going to put everything I've done in there, but also everything that other organisations have done that I found to be quite notable or influential. And hopefully that will give people, you know, a real sense of, of what was involved. Mm. Um, but that's my homework. And who knows how well <laughs> me to get around to doing that but um, <laughs> do you want me to give you a deadline will that make it oh I know I'm gonna need a deadline <laughs> otherwise it'll just sit in the in the imaginary to-do list <laughs> so what do you think obviously email the counsellors emailing was key but what we what what other uh, points would you say were key uh, in influencing the government to change the law yeah I mean I think partly it was about that collaboration so health and environment experts coming together to not say, you know, your your things that you, they're not as important as my things. You know, my things are more important than your things. Actually, we came together and said, look at all of these problems, and we were happy to share the stage when it came to things like radio interviews, TV interviews. We were happy to put on events together to say, you know, all of these problems impact people. You know, 
actually it's really important to talk about everything and I think that's something that we've not really we as in you know society have not done well in the sort of campaigning space often we just like to talk about things in our silos and I think that's not not good so that's been something that's been really positive and you know I've made so many great connections with people that I might have never worked with in the past so you know that was fantastic I also think there's a time for it to be party political but with this we had all politicians kind of really saying okay I see the issue I see the problem and wanting to tackle it and deliberately you know it was all parties were supporting it and I was you know not saying look how great this one party is over this party it was you know keeping it really broad and I think that was quite important not to make it a party political issue um obviously if we'd got absolutely nowhere you might then try and switch targets and think you know but actually I think that really worked I can say that every single party put forward a motion in the council and independence. So, you know, there was no sort of this is one side versus the other. I think that works really well. And I also think it works well just having those grassroots voices and being able to, you know, point towards there were some amazing big organisations that that got on board and supported it. But actually, it was the voices of the parents, of the teachers, of the waste workers that were the most important. And it was trying to keep those voices absolutely central, um, not just using shocking stats, but actually talking about on the ground in this local community. This is what the result has been. And I think that was really powerful. And so on the ground, what do you think the result will be for take that example you gave of waste uh, pickers or people who are working in the refuse plants? What will the result be for them? I mean, I think their job is hard enough as it is. So we're not inundating them with lots of new products that they have to deal with. I think, you know, just logistically, it's a bit of a nightmare when you get lots of new tech that comes out that is really complex. These devices had to be manually pulled apart. So it was also very labour intense for the workers at these recycling plants. So it's just recognising their time and realising that they have stretched resources. So, you know, to suddenly have to find you know, capacity to deal with these. I also think, though, these are a huge fire risk. And that's really been one of the things that's been most powerful to me. Lithium batteries, when damaged, combust. And they have these sort of runaway fires. And if you imagine a little vape hiding inside a bin lorry that's constantly compacting and and shredding waste, whether it's the bin lorry or the recycling plant or the waste facility site, as soon as that thing gets damaged, it can burst into flames. And what is it surrounded by? Flammable waste. And we've seen some really powerful research done by Material Focus that looked at how many waste fires we'd been seeing because of these. And there were 700 in the space of a year in the UK. And there was even locally in Angus Council, the next council over to where I live, they had a bin lorry that was filled with uh, paper recycling that had a vape chucked in it, you know, it was, you know, put in the wrong waste stream. And the bin lorry started smoking and they had to pull off into a car park and dump everything out because it had all caught fire. And obviously, deal with that. And I think the the fire risk is just so important because that's not just a physical risk. That's also waste workers thinking every day how many of these little hidden devices, how you know, constantly being ready to 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 deal with it. So I think there's all these parts that we need to keep in mind and it's when you hear these stories that you just think I mean it's a no-brainer that these need to not exist anymore. So let's move on a little bit to talk about you Laura you you've had a great year you won lots of plaudits you're the you've won the Scottish Influencers Award 
tell me a bit about the role of social media in your activism and how you found um, becoming recognised for what you've done. Yeah, I mean, I think social media's role is is huge. You know, without it, this campaign probably wouldn't be anything. I think partly because you don't have to wait around for the traditional media to be interested. You can just post as much as you want, as often as you want, with as as much creativity as you want. And I think that was really crucial because before you're sort of constantly, you know, getting in touch with journalists going, are you interested in this story? Are you happy to do it? But actually, no, you can just go and, and put stuff out there. And it's also been great because in terms of kind of citizen science and those grassroots anecdotal stories, other people have been able to use their social media as well. So we've had, you know, people showing all the vapes that they've been finding in various locations. We've had, you know, wildlife photographers sharing about it. We've had parents sharing about their stories. And so that is, you know, invaluable data, but it's also being able to be put there real time. And I've also just been amazed that the the first tweet I did, I put out, I talked about the fact that my dog actually, you know, came out of a bush with one, like Mm -hmm. in his mouth. Obviously, it's a brightly coloured thing. Yeah, smells. He wasn't smoking it. No, I will say he wasn't smoking it. But my local paper saw that tweet and said, we'd like to write a story about this. And so it's also a way for you to get noticed and, and get the story moving. And so it's been absolutely vital. But also, I've been able to connect with so many people who are interested and want to take this on and being able to divvy up the work in a way that wouldn't be possible if people hadn't seen it. So it's been absolutely crucial. And I think the role of social media is super powerful. But I also recognise that I am an individual. So I don't need some kind of corporate structure to like schedule my tweets and book in time with social media teams like I can just do it whenever I want so I also recognize that there is that agility that is needed to be able to just go out and put outlines but I think also just one of the things that was quite powerful is also recognizing the reach now I will say I do already have fairly big social media presence or kind of number of followers but I don't think that necessarily means that other people can't achieve the same impact because I look at TikTok and, you know, in TikTok, I only had a few thousand followers when this started and I put out some videos going on these litter picks, trying to find them and documenting everywhere that they were. And the videos, I think between them have, you know, about 3 million views. One of them even has like 1.5 million views on it. And you think that is more than any news channel sometimes can get in one setting. And you just think you can have a really big impact on a platform that you might have kind of discredited before. And still to this day, I've got people saying, I've seen your TikTok video about that. I I didn't know that. It's totally changed the way I do things, da, da, da. Mm-hmm. And so I think also kind of not discrediting yeah. what a tweet or a Facebook post or a something can do because it can have this huge amount of impact and you describe yourself so you on you, your uh, email footer I noticed you you write climate activist environmental scientist and ethical influencer how is it how do you um define what an ethical influencer is yeah I mean I guess there's probably loads of ways but I think the term influencer is correct you know it, it's a terminology that it doesn't sit right with me, but it describes what I am online. But the reason I put ethical is because, you know, I'm not there to exploit a following to get them to buy lots of rubbish that I'm selling. Mm -hmm. Um, And also everything I talk about, you know, I very 
carefully think about so I'm trying to think about you know getting the best out of my platform and creating a bit of a community space it's not a one-way thing for me to just post about my life so I think the term influencer is correct and, and I think it's important to use that but to define myself as something different and so my pages are all about trying to you know share about good things good stories environmental stuff but also you know how we can all play our part how we can be part of these campaigns and so it's just about slightly changing what an influencer means um but I guess you know there's loads of different ways you could quantify it but for me it's just about you know I'm not out there trying to sell loads of things to people I'm not trying to like make loads of money you know all that kind of stuff I'm just there to to use it as a bit of a community platform so let's pick you up some more followers you're known as less waste Laura is that across all the social media channels (laughs) everything all all the same name nice and easy (laughs) and what's next for less waste Laura I need to finish my PhD. So (laughs) sorry for the distraction this morning. (laughs) Oh, no, I mean, it's good to not have to think about it. But I mean, that is my day job. And, you know, I think it's funny because all of the campaigning I've done has been out of my, I'm using air quotes, spare time. Who has spare time? And I think there's a recognition that like I, yeah, need to actually get back to what I'm supposed to be doing with most of my time. But I will say, you know, We've got to the point where the UK has announced that it is going to change legislation to to put in these measures, but we still need to shape it. You know, it could be, you know, we need to get the best legislation possible so that the industry, the vaping industry, doesn't cut corners or find loopholes. So very much, I already know that I'm going to be involved in how to shape that. There's going to be roundtables, there's going to be meetings, there's going to be all these different things. So it's about helping to shape the best policy. So that is probably going to take up some of my time is making sure that all the work we've done to campaign doesn't go down the toilet because we get really rubbish legislation. So part of it is, you know, trying to to do that. But the good thing is is campaigning takes a lot more work than than probably this next stage. So, you know, for me it's about, you know, focusing on my PhD that that I'm still doing and also continually just trying to see how I can help, you know, with the experience I've got, you know, other people who are trying to do great things because disposable vapes is just one small problem in 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 an ocean of many. So, I didn't see a big campaign coming. So you never know like what's around the corner. Um, But I think certainly it's given me a lot to think about. Um, But I've always got too many things on. So it's good to to slowly start (laughs) to breathe. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Are you um, writing about waste? What's your PhD about? No, this is the thing. I should be doing a PhD about vapes. That would be amazing. But my PhD is actually about um, climate resilient places and community engagement. So how do we physically, we need to change places to become more climate resilient, especially now that we're getting extreme flooding so regularly and our infrastructure and our, and our, our you know, our towns, our cities are just not built to withstand that as long alongside things like urban heat in the summer and drought. Mm-hmm. But we need to change places including the people who live there we need to have communities at the heart of it to get multiple benefits from all the changes that we make and and to build people as community as climate resilient so I'm kind of looking at that that interface so it's it's quite interdisciplinary it's also a bit of social science which is me stepping into a different space not with my usual soil samples and measuring trees and things like that so it's going to be quite different um but I'm just coming into my second year so I'm sort of just into that phase where you know data collection is really starting to build up and I'm, I'm really starting to actually get to grips with what I'm doing um but it's that kind of really interesting kind of 
place between you know physical environment and communities and people mm. why was it so important to change the law rather than just influencing people's behavior and perhaps that will tie in with the stuff you're doing around resilience in in communities environmental resilience yeah. i mean it's a great question and i think you know part, I, I, you know i'm a true believer in in individual change and behavior change because like society and, and there's that theory of like the overton window like how do you change things do you get society to all shift it and like pull it along because we all suddenly realize that plastic's bad or vapes are bad um, or do we get business and government to pull us along which is like we need to change regulation and legislation so there's a bit of push and pull but I think partly you need to look at the scale of the problem and realize that five million vapes a week I can't speak to all five million <laughs> owners of those vapes and say you should not be buying these and you should be getting a refillable one. So partly it's about scale, it's about being realistic, but it's also about realizing, taking a step back and saying, what does this issue represent? And I think disposable vapes represent two things. The first thing is they represent the continued grip that the tobacco industry has on society. When we realized cigarettes were bad, the tobacco industry was scrambling around trying to find the next product that they could use to keep people hooked on nicotine. And they found vapes and they found other items. And so that industry is continually wanting customers and they're wanting to keep them hooked. And so I think vapes represent that. They just represent another toxic, you know, product. So we need to kind of take a step back and say, it's not just about these disposable vapes. It's about getting people to a healthy life where all they breathe is fresh air. Mm -hmm. But the second thing is also, these are, disposable vapes are the first real mainstream disposable electronic. If you look around your house at all the devices that are electronic, your laptop, your phone, your TV, your kettle, these are all things that are plugged in, they are recharged and they are used time and time again. But these are the first device, disposable vapes, that are genuinely designed to be used once and then thrown away and there are only a few other kinds of disposable electronics and they are like digital pregnancy tests you know things that the vast majority of us will not use like many of in our lifetime and so it's also about saying it's not just about disposable vapes it's about taking a step back and saying there is a tsunami of fast tech kind of like fast fashion but fast tech cheap manufactured you know falls apart easily designed only to be used a few times there's a fast tech tsunami coming towards us how are we going to legislate to make sure that it doesn't happen because what we don't want to do is go on campaigns for single items every single time mm -hmm. we want to say let's use disposable vapes as an example and stop the rest of these things coming so that when there's a great tech innovation that comes along we say fantastic Here's all the things that you need to do to make sure it doesn't cause problems down the line with waste or litter or material resource, whatever it is. Um, and I think that's important to, to step back and, and say that. Um, so I think that's why it's important not just to go, OK, how many vapors can I talk to to try and encourage them to switch? It's actually about saying, let's take a step back and say, all of these companies who are supposedly trying to help us with whatever ailment we've got, here's just the way that you need to do that without causing all these other problems. And so that's what I hope, you know, and, and that's what you can't do just by behaviour change alone. But of course, that's that's been a part of it. But that's definitely why, you know, it's, it's kind of going after the big fish. 
Excellent. Well, we are really, really um, delighted for you. It's, it's a great campaign win, and I think it's uh, going to be really uh, inspiring for people on their own campaigns, on our own campaigns. Uh, what are you going to do to recuperate and recover? Because we're all about that as well, Laura. <clears throat> how are you going to? How are you going to make sure that you're uh, in this for the long call? Oh, I don't know. I mean, it's funny because actually, you know, you campaign for months and months and years and years, and then the news breaks on like a random Thursday evening. <laughs> you're like, oh, okay, right, what are we doing? So, you know, I think it's just been like taking time with people to, it's like celebrate doesn't feel like the right word, but I guess that's kind of what it is. You know, it's, you know, it's about just recognizing and, you know, just kind of taking that time to pause. Um, I am taking a week off which is exciting and I only have one thing that I need to do that week as in it really is properly like a week off um except one tiny meeting but it's one that I really want to go to so you know it feels good to like actually carve out time to just do nothing um which is really helpful and you know I think down the line all the people that have been involved in the campaign we've said when the bill is passed you know so this will probably be in the next you know in a year's time but you know when the the bill is passed and when it's all put together we will probably do a big blowout party and and all go out together but um you know I think it's just taking that time to to rest and do nothing and I also um but I will say you know you don't know what's coming around the corner and when the vape campaign really started to be taking up a significant chunk of my time I actually took a step back from a few commitments um, and I think that's also important to recognize and everyone was so understanding because everyone was like absolutely like you go like this is so important but I actually did say to a few different kind of things I was doing on a voluntary basis you know I'm just going to take a pause for six months you know to kind of get my thoughts together and, and deal with this and so you know I think that is also important for people so now what I'm not doing is jumping back into all of that but actually kind of realizing like where can I still add value how can I still help these organizations um and so for me it's just kind of like taking the time to do that but I have had a few days in my pajamas watching Netflix which to me is like oh like that's I've not done that in ages so that was pretty cool excellent and I know your faith is key to who you are Tell me a bit about how you've seen, um, yeah, it's, it sounds like a stupid question. Where Where has God been at work? It's fairly obvious, but have you felt like, um, have you seen your faith as an integral part of this journey, I guess? Oh, absolutely. And to be honest, like, I think if it wasn't for God putting this on my heart and really shoving me in the direction of it you know I probably wouldn't have taken on so much um and I think you know absolutely I think God is in everything that we do and I think he puts things on our plates um and sets us up for it and you know certainly even just looking back you know I also feel like God's prompted me to do lots of things in the past and sometimes you're not really sure why and certainly this campaign has been like okay I really understand a bit more about why I've had all these experiences and why God's wanted me to do this so you know I think God guides us um and certainly you know even just like I've had so many people email me or text me saying I saw you on the tv like you're so well spoken you're so eloquent like oh my goodness that was so powerful and you think yeah it's because I prayed and asked God to speak through me right before that interview mm -hmm. do you know and I think that is something is you know often you get these great opportunities and it's just about taking that time to pray and be like right God 
what do you want me to say like be with me in these words and and I think that's been key about mm. you know whether it's a parliament event or a tv thing or even just a local community group that wants to hear about it you know it's trying to um to do things with God and, and ask him and you know I think prayer's been central to it you know absolutely and you know I think others yeah I think other campaigns you know I don't know how people deal with it without without faith um so I, absolutely crucial and but but it's kind of hard because I guess it's hard you know I've never had an experience of running a campaign without God <laughs> the campaign has been so successful so quickly that I also don't think it just of course it's God working working in it for the protection of his people uh, and the protection of his planet and the protection of all things you know and um it's just been so great that, that of course it's it's not by any individual you know or any person um but yeah so it's been absolutely essential and it's even just great knowing that there's people praying for me and and for the work you know all the time um and I think that's been really special and have your church been right behind you yeah I mean I think it's interesting because actually this all started when I moved to Dundee and started a PhD um so my kind of new church I'm a bit of a a bit of a stranger if that makes sense so sometimes people are like hi who are you I think I know you from the tv and you're like ah you know you're going through this big <laughs> stage in life and you know I, I like I moved I moved to a new city and started everything new so like all that's been weird but I also know that my previous churches so the church I grew up in and the other churches have absolutely been behind me and I get messages all the time from people when they've seen me on something or you know just wanting to pray and I think that's been amazing um to have that network and you know slowly my new church is beginning to I'm getting to know everyone and they're you know and sometimes it can be overwhelming because when people ask what you do and then the next week they're like oh I feel like all this information is yeah so it's kind of interesting but certainly um loads of people across the world I guess you know are praying which is amazing so you don't you don't answer by saying, well, I'm an award winning influencer and um, I've just uh, had a successful campaign to change the law. <laughs> no, I mean, actually, the way I introduce myself is my, my 87 year old granddad goes to the church. So I often go, do you know Richard? Yeah, he's my granddad. granddad. Like, <laughs> Brilliant. Perfect. Or a wee bit. And then, you know, someone will come up to me and go, saw you on the telly last night. And everyone around is like, what is who is this girl? And like, yeah. But, you know, interestingly, though, maybe my next campaign is the church I go to is not great on environmental stuff. Really not. So maybe that's the next campaign is to look really local and think about how to have an influence there because, you know, I've never heard them really talk about the environment. So it would be interesting to sort of prod a wee bit there and and see what could come out. Brilliant, Laura. It's been an absolute joy to talk to you. Thank you so much, and uh, we're excited to see uh, your PhD finished and what happens for you next. Amazing. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining me on the Hopeful Activist podcast and huge thanks to Laura Young. You can scroll back in our archive to find so many more interviews like this on a huge variety of subjects and do subscribe to make sure you get the next episode as soon as it comes out. And we always love it if you could leave us a review. We'll see you next time on the Hopeful Activists podcast. Oh, no.